I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The job of Yosemite Park Ranger isn't what most people imagine. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot of people picture us as law enforcement types handing out tickets and enforcing park rules, when really that's a very niche aspect of it. Mostly we're just here to assist you. Handing out maps, not speeding tickets, and giving people directions to the best views or to ideal camping locations. We remind people about safety and weather conditions from day to day. But the main thing we do, and this is more vital than people realize, is that we're just here in case anyone gets lost or hurt. We deal with a lot of belligerent people who like to think the park is their personal playground, where they can do whatever they want. It's my job to remind them to follow the rules, to dispose of their trash properly, to pick up after the dog and to clip its leash back on while walking the trails. Some people take this as a personal assault on their freedoms, when really I'm just looking out for the safety of other visitors like cyclists and horseback riders who share the paths. Dogs can be unpredictable and can misbehave on trails, and we have to look out for everyone. Still, I don't often get a lot of positive feedback for enforcing the rules. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Trust me, I get it. Every once in a while, something interesting happens to break up the boredom and monotony of the job. Last summer, I was walking around at night, doing a patrol of the campgrounds, when I saw something rustling around in the bushes. A guy came crawling out, dressed in a furry dog costume. I asked him if he was okay, and he just barked happily, 
then crawled away in the opposite direction. Shortly afterwards, I saw him chasing another person who was dressed as a cat, a woman who went scampering away and hid beneath a camper van, laughing excitedly and making purring sounds, licking the dirt from her fur pants with a long tongue. She saw me watching and clawed the air in front of her face, hissing territorially. It's not how I would choose to spend my Friday nights, but I'm not one to judge. By far the most interesting thing which has ever happened to me at Yosemite occurred last summer. And it wasn't just interesting. It was utterly terrifying. Every night when I fall asleep, I have nightmares about that day. Every time I close my eyes, I picture those dark tunnels in the rock face. It all started when someone called in a report saying they were out on the Cathedral Lake Trail when their brother went missing. The pair had been out hiking when they got separated somehow. At first we thought it was just a routine mishap. People go missing in Yosemite all the time. It's no big deal in most cases, since usually the missing parties are found quickly enough. Half the time alcohol is involved and I have to remind people to pace themselves if they indulge while camping. But every once in a while those missing people don't turn up and we have to dispatch much larger search parties. In this case, I went out on my own at first, heading to where the man had called us from. I drove out on an ATV since it was a 16-mile round trip. When I got there, the guy looked frantic. He ran over to me and started speaking way too fast to understand. I told him to slow down and just give me the facts. It's important to stay calm in these types of situations. The guy took a deep breath and let it out. Then he started talking again, a bit slower this time. We were walking on the trail. He was right beside me. Then I turned around to look at the lake, and when I looked back, he was gone. Just gone. I tried to get a sense if the man had been drinking or doing drugs. It's not that I'm trying to assume the worst in people, but we have to think of these types of things. The simplest explanation is usually the right one, after all. And it was much easier to imagine the two brothers taking sips from a mucky and one of them getting separated and lost than to imagine one of them being abducted by aliens or taken in a very selective rapture. Slow down for a second. Take some deep breaths. What's your name? Let's start with that, Greg, he said, his face turning a shade less purple as he began to inhale air with trembling breaths in and out. Okay, Greg. I took out my notepad, jotting this down, along with his last name, which I'll leave out for the sake of privacy. And what's your brother's name, Dave? He said, sniffling. I saw you'd been crying recently. Where was the last place you saw your brother? Let's retrace your steps. He started protesting, saying that wasn't going to help, but I convinced him we had to at least try. Greg led me back a little ways to where he'd seen his brother last. I walked back here already, and I looked all around here before calling you guys. I thought maybe he went off the trail to take a leak and tripped, hit his head, something like that, I don't know. I was grasping at straws, but I think something. He hesitated. Something what? I probed. Do you think something took him, like those stories you hear about? He sounded embarrassed, but I tried to get more out of him and ask him which stories he was talking about. You know, you hear stories about Yosemite and other national parks. I'm sure you've heard about them, even if you're not in on the conspiracy. Stories where people go missing like this and it makes no sense. Someone turns their back for a second and their son or their sister or whoever is just gone, disappeared like Dave. I saw it on YouTube. Hmm? Huh? I replied, not sure what corner of the internet this guy had been visiting. Well, that doesn't happen around here, I can assure you. Let's keep looking. I'm sure you'll turn up. But the longer we looked, the less we found. It really did seem like the man's brother had just vanished. I was about to call in for more support. Maybe even a K-9 unit when the man yelled from a little ways off the trail saying he'd found something. Following the sound of his voice, I eventually came to find him at the base of the mountain, face to face with a granite wall. At first, I didn't understand what he was doing there, but as I got closer, I saw there was actually a cave which was well hidden in the rock face. 
It blended in perfectly with the mountainside until you were almost nose to nose with a pale gray stone. Good job, I said, patting him on the shoulder. But then I looked at our surroundings, getting nervous. We were pretty far from the path, in the thick part of the forest, which was overgrown and tangled with vines and shrubbery. Do you think he would have gone into this cave on his own? Greg looked around, as if checking to see if his brother had left a message for him. But there was nothing. I don't think so. It's not like him to just leave me on the trail alone, either. Especially not for this long. If this was a prank or something, he'd have come back by now. I can tell something's not right. Has your brother played pranks on you like this before? I asked. The man was in his twenties, and his brother was probably of a similar age. Young men occasionally got lost or injured trying to scare each other by pulling pranks or filming videos in the woods. It was rare, but it had happened before. Once or twice, he admitted, I didn't call you guys for a while because I thought he was messing with me. I wouldn't put it past him, but not for this long. I was getting annoyed. Mosquitoes were biting my neck, and I was sweating in the heat of the afternoon after marching through the foliage for hours. I imagined the guy hiding inside the cave trying to scare his younger brother. Maybe he had fallen asleep in his dark hiding place, or he was just pushing it too far, but either way, I was upset. If this was a prank, it had wasted most of my afternoon. It probably annoyed me even more because I had my own older brother who had played tricks on me more than once in our younger days, and this was bringing back memories. All right, you can come out of there right now. I yelled, marching into the cave, thinking the young man would be hiding in the small alcove. I turned a corner and saw a dark tunnel leading deep into the darkest recesses of the granite. This made no sense. As far as I knew, there was no tunnel in this location, especially not one of this size, but it had been well hidden, nearly invisible in the rock face. I wondered if anyone knew about it, and I wondered if it was safe. I didn't feel comfortable going any further. The dark space looked like it went on for a long, long way into the distance, and I was getting an eerie feeling standing there. It felt like I could almost hear voices whispering from all around me. The words were lost in the echoing cave, and I got a strong sensation that we weren't alone, like icy fingers walking slowly up my spine. The other man came in behind me, marveling at the cave for a second before continuing to press forward. Come on, Greg said, forging ahead. He might be in trouble. He was anxious to keep going not scared enough of this horrifying place with whispering voices coming from the shadows, and his apparent lack of fear made me twice as scared. I'm going back for help, I said, shuffling backwards. It isn't safe. Nobody knows we're here. My training and my instincts were overwhelming my curiosity, but Greg seemed not to care about the dangers. The man continued going forward, disappearing into the darkness. A few seconds later he was gone, and there was no indication he had ever existed in the first place. Greg? I called out into the black abyss. There was no response. He might as well have been a ghost. An overwhelming urge to follow him rushed over me, and I took a few steps forward, feeling hypnotized by that black tunnel leading on and on forever. But then I shook my head, slapping my face as I tried to wake myself up from whatever trance I was in, which was overruling my common sense. I turned around and left the cave, my legs shaking and my hands unsteady as I called for assistance. After meeting the search party back at the trail, we went through the woods again to find the cave hiding within the 10,000-foot-tall rock face of Cathedral Peak. But it was gone. I remembered having trouble finding it the first time and thinking it was well hidden among the pale gray surface of the mountainside. You had to be nearly face to face with the wall to see it since it was so invisible among the crags and boulders. I tried to tell my supervisor and the other members of the search party, but they didn't believe me. They said there was no tunnel there. They looked for hours and found nothing. Helicopters swept the area in more teams with more dogs, bloodhounds, and German shepherds. But nothing was turned up. There was no trace of anyone else having been out there except me. 
dumbfounded for the rest of the week, and for the rest of the summer I couldn't focus on anything. My mind kept going back to that conversation I'd had with the man on the trail named Greg, the man who'd lost his brother and then disappeared into a cave that didn't exist. More and more, I began to wonder what would have happened if I'd followed him. It took a full year for me to build up the courage to go back out to that exact spot again. It happened to be on the same date and around the same time of day. Only this time, I wasn't on duty. It was my weekend off, so I had plenty of time to comb the area for clues. My backpack was full of provisions, and I had enough to last for a night or two in the woods. Maybe longer if necessary. Somehow I knew. I just had a feeling that if I went back on that day at that time, it would be there. The cave that didn't exist. Cathedral Peak loomed above me, getting larger as I made my way through the forest, moving toward it. The gray clouds above were shrouding the sun in darkness, while the thickening canopy blocked any remaining light from overhead. A chill ran through me, causing me to shiver involuntarily as I laid eyes on the black hole in the rock face, so plain and clear to see now. Taking a step forward, I found myself standing right in front of it, and I reached up my hands to feel the outline of the entryway, as if to confirm it was real. It was. I took a deep breath, like a diver about to submerge, and went inside. The air was cold and damp with a strange, coppery smell. My flashlight was on my belt, and I grabbed it, but then decided not to turn it on. I was getting a strange feeling, like I was in an unsafe place, and needed to stay silent and hidden. There was a sound coming from up ahead which I couldn't place. It was a slurping, chewing sound, like someone tearing meat from bones with their teeth. As I went deeper and deeper into the tunnel, the air became colder and so damp that I felt droplets of water running down my face and into my eyes. A trickle of light was filtering in somewhere as well, causing the cavern to faintly glow in places. The air seemed to shimmer and dance in front of my eyes as I went deeper and deeper, feeling entranced as I stumbled along in the shadows. Faintly I realized that there was something wrong with me as if I had been drugged, but I no longer cared. In fact, I found the sensation to be quite pleasant, and then I was abruptly awoken from my daydream as I came around a corner and saw the horror unfolding within the guts of Cathedral Peak. I can't possibly explain what I saw down there. And the shadows obscured most of it, drenching the monstrous creature in darkness. But the impression I got was of something like an octopus or a squid crossbred with an oversized plant or a fungus sucking and slurping, chewing and crunching something between its teeth. After a few moments of inspection, I realized it was a person's face that was being eaten as the details could just barely be seen in the dim light of the cave. The skin was being stripped from its cheeks, the eyelids ripped off, and the lips peeled back, and slurped up like noodles. Tentacles like tangled vines were everywhere, slithering and sliding across the pale gray stone floor all around me. At first I thought it was mud beneath my feet, but as I came fully to my senses, I realized it was blood mingling and mixing with the dust beneath my feet, creating a dark, toxic red slurry which sucked at my boot heels. The tentacle, vine things were everywhere, I realized with numb shock. My feet were actually stepping on some of them, and I was amazed the creature hadn't noticed me yet. But it was obviously too caught up with whatever meal it was currently ingesting. Feeling very glad I hadn't turned on my flashlight, I began to back away very slowly, my boots crunching across the writhing tentacles. A sick knot in my stomach was rising up and threatening to make me puke fear and revulsion twisting my gut. My mind was spinning and my thoughts were racing, understanding there was a very good chance I would never leave this place. I tried desperately not to step on any more of the squirming, writhing tentacles which moved and twisted on the floor of the cave, soaking and basking in the blood which had been spilled everywhere, like pigs rolling happily in the mud. There was no possible way there could be so much of it, I thought. No one person has this much blood. 
This is like a river. And then I saw the others. They were hanging suspended from the ceiling, from the walls, from everywhere. Amidst the purple vine tentacles, they breathed in and out, still being kept alive, but just barely. Dozens of them were strung up and down the length of the cave, their chests rising and falling with weak breaths, but none of them opening their eyes or speaking. It was like they were sleeping. After a few long moments of searching, I found him, Greg, the hiker from the trail who was looking for his brother. He was hanging upside, down from the wall just beside me, his eyes closed. Parts of him were missing, a piece of his cheek, part of his hand. But the wounds were slowly healing. The creature, whatever it was, kept its victims alive down there, I realized. It was ingesting them slowly, perhaps even using pieces of its other victims as nutrients to feed the ones who were dying of starvation, like an otherworldly pyramid scheme built of blood and human remains. Shaking that mental image away, I grabbed Greg's shoulder, hoping to wake him up quietly. His eyes shot open a second after I touched him, revealing only the whites, and he began to screech. And I don't mean screeching like he was screaming out of fear of pain or anything like that. This was an inhuman alarm cry which signified to me immediately that there was no shred out of humanity left in him. He was now a part of the hive mind of the creature and its tentacle army. As his head turned on a swivel, I saw smaller tentacles were wrapped around him, going into his brain and into his neck, invading his ears and eyes, and drilled into his spinal column. I screamed involuntarily, seeing these details, and heard the creature in the tunnel as it recognized my presence. It wasn't fast, whatever it was, but it was huge. The cave shook around me, dust and pebbles falling from the stone ceiling above as I backed away from the hiker. Beneath my feet, the vines were suddenly moving quickly sliding around so that I couldn't find my balance. As soon as my shoes found purchase on the stone floor beneath me, I began to run. The tunnel was alive all around me now, the whipping vines twisting and bending toward me, reaching out like greedy hands trying to grab me as I raced past. Looking over my shoulder, I saw the amorphous creature's central girth was finding its way through the cave and was moving my way a lot faster than I would have thought possible. But then again, I wouldn't have thought any of this was possible before living it. The light of the entryway was just up ahead, and I could smell the fresh air and could see the sun. Then my feet suddenly slipped as if someone had pulled a rug out from under me, and I went crashing to the ground face. First, my jaw closed hard and bit the end of my tongue, causing it to bleed. The taste of copper filling my mouth a second later, I tried to get to my feet. The mental image of those poor, trapped people could be seen clearly in my mind's eye. In retrospect, I think the creature, whatever it was, needed us to be unsuspecting. If we were aware of what it was doing, its hypnosis wouldn't work. Maybe it was a chemical it released which caused people to want to explore the cave, a pheromone-like insects used to communicate. But it didn't work as well if you knew about it and if you understood its purpose. It released some more of that pheromone or whatever chemical it was using to lure people in, and I actually felt my legs grow a bit heavier. My eyelids, too. It was like I had suddenly just worked three night shifts and really needed to sleep. But then the wave of hypnosis passed, and I felt the rumbling of the ground beneath me, and that broke me from the trance again, causing me to scramble to my feet from the cave floor and run. As I neared the cave entrance and sprinted toward it, leaving my backpack far behind in an effort to lighten the load, I saw the rocks were actually closing in, tightening the gap. The entryway was shrinking somehow. It was the vines, I realized. They were what was camouflaging the entrance, their color changing to match the pale gray stone. I picked up my pace, the twisting forms beneath me, making it even more difficult. I didn't dare risk a glance over my shoulder, feeling the rumbling of the floor and knowing that the bulk of the creature was just behind me, closing in. With the gap of the exit narrowing even further, shrinking to the size of a dartboard, I dove head first into it, 
imagining my face slamming into a sheer rock wall as it suddenly turned to stone right in front of me, sealing me in this dark labyrinth of suffering forever with the rest of the tortured souls. My eyes were squinted tightly shut as I felt the vines pulling and tearing at me as I went through the gap. For an instant, they squeezed in around my midsection, threatening to stop me like Winnie the Pooh after an unfortunate attempt at pilfering honey when I popped out of the hole and it sealed up behind me in an instant. I heard a loud crash as the creature flew headlong into its own obstruction. The trap it had created for me to keep me there had hindered its escape, preventing it from chasing after me. I could hear it thrashing and clawing at the vines, desperate for more flesh to sustain itself. Whatever it was, it was growing too large even for its own control. Left alone to feed in the heart of the mountain, it would eventually destroy itself. It would consume its own flesh to sate its monstrous hunger, like a snake eating its own tail. I had a very strong suspicion that it was true. With that very specific idea in mind, I wandered back to my car. It was easier now without the backpack and all the gear. But the walk back to the cave would be harder. There would be lots to carry next time. After a trip to the hardware store, I went back out to the trail. It was nighttime now, and the place was abandoned. I borrowed one of the Ranger ATVs and took my supplies out to the spot where the cave had been. After bringing a few buckets of water from the lake, I began my work. Since I had marked the cave, it was easy to find it again and to begin laying down the fast-drying cement. As park rangers, our job is usually to stop people from vandalizing mountains in this way, but I got the feeling Mother Nature would forgive me. It was my job to protect this place and the people who visited, and nothing could protect people from this thing. It was best to seal it away forever and let it slowly consume itself. Without a fresh supply of hikers, it would eventually run out of calories. It would eventually expire. It was only a matter of time. The vine tentacles squirmed beneath the layer of cement, groggily reaching out for me, trying to pull me in. I grabbed the trowel and slopped on another thick coating and watched as it rapidly began to dry. And the tentacles began to smooth out and settle down again, falling back asleep. That inhuman shriek could be heard from inside again, much louder this time, as if all of the hikers who the creature had abducted had all woken up at the same instant and for just a second realized their predicament. Sorry, Greg, I muttered to myself, alone in the dark forest. I told you not to go in there. The life of a park ranger often followed the gentle rhythms of nature, punctuated by the rustling leaves, the calls of distant creatures, and the soft sounds of the wind dancing through the trees. My cabin, nestled deep within the heart of Yosemite National Park, offered a haven of solitude and tranquility that I cherished. One evening, as the sun cast its golden hues upon the land, I found myself rummaging through the old wooden drawers of the cabin searching for a long-lost map. Amidst the clutter, my fingers brushed against something unexpected. I pulled it out, a faded photograph, its corners dog-eared, its colors slightly washed out by time. In the photograph, a group of humans stood alongside a towering figure, something that resembled Bigfoot, the legendary creature rumored to roam these woods. My heart raced as I turned the photograph over, revealing a date. 1930 and a set of coordinates, apparently pointing to a location deep within the park. Fueled by curiosity and a sense of adventure, I decided to follow those coordinates to see how that place had changed over the years. Armed with a backpack and my map, I set out early one morning, the forest alive with the songs of birds and the gentle rustling of leaves. Hours turned into miles as I hiked through the rugged terrain, following the trail as best I could. But as the sun began its descent, I realized I was hopelessly lost. Panic clutched at my chest as I reached for my radio, only to find that there was no signal. Desperation turned my footsteps into a haphazard dance, my eyes scanning for any sign of a trail or a way out of the dense woods. 
The shadows deepened, and the trees seemed to close in around me, their branches clawing at the sky. And then, in the midst of my disorientation, I sensed something watching me. The hair on the back of my neck prickled as I turned, my heart pounding like a drum. Emerging from the depths of the forest was a figure that defied all logic. It was tall, about eight or nine feet, its form a shadow against the fading light. Its legs were long and skinny, arms even longer, nearly reaching the ground. Its body was rounded, connected to a long, slender neck that held no face. Yes, no face. The impossibility of what I was seeing sent shivers down my spine. Before I could react, the creature lunged, its movements uncannily swift for its build. It tackled me to the ground, and I grappled with it, a primal instinct for survival fueling my struggle. But then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, the creature melted back into the woods, vanishing without a trace. I lay there breathless and bewildered, my mind racing to process what had just transpired. And then, like a lifeline, I heard the distinct sound of footsteps approaching. My heart leaped with hope, and I turned my head to see another park ranger emerging from the trees, a flashlight in hand and concern etched on his face. He extended a hand, helping me to my feet. Are you okay? he asked, his voice a soothing balm amidst the chaos of my thoughts. I could barely find the words to respond. I, I don't know what I saw. It was a creature. Tall, no face. It attacked me. His eyes flickered with a mix of understanding and unease. I've heard stories. There are things out here that can't be explained. Together we walked back through the woods, my mind still reeling from the encounter. He shared tales of his own experiences, of legends whispered around campfires, of unexplained occurrences that defied rational explanation. As we made our way back to civilization, I couldn't shake the feeling that the photograph, the coordinates, and the creature were all connected in ways I couldn't yet comprehend. The mysteries of Yosemite National Park were far greater than I had ever imagined, and as the night settled around us, I knew that my journey was only beginning. I was an infantry platoon leader in the United States Army at the time. My platoon and I were on a mission in Germany, somewhere around the junction of the Sikh Republic, German border. We had been there for about two months, which is how long it took for our unit to transition from Iraq, where they trained Iraqi police officers, to Germany. We were patrolling the woods when we came to a clearing. I figured it would be a good place for my platoon to take a break from advancing through the dense forest. I went up ahead to scout out what was beyond that clearing. Something was troubling me about how quiet it seemed. Even the crickets, grass, and birds were all quiet. There was nothing, but I figured it was my imagination after the long time spent moving forward without stopping at all. As soon as I turned around, though, they were all standing at attention behind me, their weapons pointing straight up in the air. They had obviously seen whatever had startled them. When I turned around, all I saw was the clearing that seemed to have no life in it whatsoever. So then I think maybe one of my squad leaders had probably seen something, maybe a deer or some other animal. So I asked them if they had just seen an animal. They all immediately denied seeing anything out of the ordinary and went back to taking their break. I was walking into the clearing to find where they had seen whatever it was that spooked them, and I had only walked about halfway across the open space when I heard everybody screaming over my radios, Move out! Move out! Doc. That's all I heard. So then I start running toward where they are. But before I'm halfway there, I hear automatic weapons firing up ahead in our direction. And of course, being combat soldiers, they are trained to be constantly vigilant of their surroundings. So of course they are firing at anything moving in the woods around them or taking cover behind trees or logs if nothing else is moving for them to shoot at. But then there were multiple things moving that they could see. Everybody started yelling, enemy behind us, or he's running toward you to your right flank. So everybody is firing in every direction. 
I finally get out there, and it turns out that my squad leader had seen one of these creatures run to the path only 50 meters away. He saw it earlier than everybody else, but at first thought it was maybe just another member of our platoon. He didn't see the face hidden behind an overgrown mane, but when I got out there, I knew exactly what had startled them, and it wasn't any kind of animal like a deer or elk like I guessed. It was another type of creature, but neither me nor anybody else could figure out exactly what it was, although I knew I just didn't want to admit it. We never found any tracks to follow or anything else that indicated there were more of these things around, although my entire platoon believes they were stalked by several of these things. So we figured this one must have been a lone hunter or something and got spooked when it got caught between both groups. About a minute later, the woods seemed to come alive with every type of woodland creature you can imagine scurrying from one side of the forest to another. It seemed they were all trying to get out from underfoot as either use or them passed through their environment. So maybe this was something. I'm not too sure, but I can tell you I think it was a group of these things that were about to attack. Had my entire platoon not shot at these things, they probably would have pounced, tearing my men apart. I believe they were acting in self-defense, and I think they were fighting against these bipedal canine animals. Something mauled a kid. I don't know what it was, still don't, to be honest with you. What I do know is I'll be dealing with this until the day I die. I got the call a few months ago in the fall. I'm a park ranger, and while the brighter side of the job has you talking to happy families, helping send the wildlife back to areas safe from harm, there's a lot to this career that can take a toll on you. This was one of them. I pulled into a clearing of a forest in New Hampshire. White pines and firs as far as the eye can see. Autumn made the hue of leaves turn to a carnival of colors as red maples glowed in the sunlight of midday. It was walks like these that made me take this job in the first place. I even wanted to be a park ranger when I was a child, back when I thought all you did was get lost in the woods, hanging out with bears stealing baskets. It had a way of making you forget it all, taking in the view, almost made forget what I was heading towards. The crime scene was at the end of a rocky ravine, trickles of water spattered on the floor, a backdrop to the poor kid covered in a bloody tarp. He'll spare you the details, but I saw the photos sent for the report. Even saw the boy myself. It was awful. Whatever did this ate its fair share. Everything not consumed came in tears with ill intent, scattering his remains around the woods. The animal must have taken its time, shredding him to pieces. If there is a god, I hope that boy died quickly. The more I read from the coroner's report, however, the less I think it's likely. The parents were there to identify the body. The mother screamed seeing her child like this could be heard for miles. It sounded like gutting her alive was preferable to the pain she suffered now. Ugly crying with snot dripping as a dutiful husband stood by. Him using whatever strength he had left to hold her up, back from grabbing the pieces of her boy. Federal officers came in to assist us. All of us there were doing the best we could to ignore her screams of agony and get to work. Photos collecting evidence and the like. Believe it or not, people think we don't care. Unfortunately, most of us do. I even know how easy it would be for it to be your nephew or brother in that spot. Seeing his face ripped on the floor, it can keep you up at night. That doesn't matter, though. The parents crying would be far more distraught if they saw you weeping too. So you bite your lip smoke, have a quick cry in the car when no one's looking. Otherwise, you just get back to work. In the middle of the commotion, I saw my old boss. He's an older man, stone-cut face from, from the wind over years of hiking. A stocky build with broad shoulders, yet held by the hunched, curving spine of a man who could say he was too old for this. The pot belly earned from long hours looking over files at the local diner hung over his trousers. Longer hours were spent drinking a fifth in his car to keep the nightmares away. He looked over the scene with that gravelly face deep in thought. O'Connell, 
I waved him down, stepping around the photographers and family to reach him. Jameson, good to see you. He gave me a nod and turned away from the scene. I followed after as it was clear he had something to tell me, away from the morning couple near. There was something to show me as well. He pulled a manila folder from his wool-lined jacket and handed it to me. Looks like you're moving up in the world. This your jurisdiction now. Yep, just move me over to Hillsborough. What are you doing over here? I thought you worked back in Concord. I took the folder from his hand. I had a hunch of what was in it and I wasn't looking until he asked me to. I do. A long time ago, this was where I started. Back when you could have a beer at lunch and nobody would bat an eye. I got a call about the situation and knew I had to come. This isn't the first time a kid's been taken. I opened the folder and sure enough, there it was. Black and white photos of missing children in the woods. Ripped to pieces, entrails strung among the trees. Biscara, which even in the faded ink was enough to make you sick. My old boss continued, We've taken trips to find it. No one's gotten a confirmed sight of the thing, let alone a kill. Sent thirty men fifty yards apart with enough ammo to put down an elephant. All we got was two casualties and a scream that still gives me nightmares. The old folks thought it was some kind of demon. Uh, curse on the white man for what our ancestors did to the natives when he sent them on the trails of tears. Can't say I blame them. I've seen how they live out west. We ship blankets full of smallpox and slaughter. They send a monster in return. You sound like you believe it. I tried to joke, yet any humor fell flat on the stone face that glared with a knowing tired. He stepped closer, pointing at the photos, staring into my soul, unblinking. I had to bury those children, put on the rubber gloves to pick up the bits. Parents didn't have the stomach for it and couldn't afford a coffin. The fear in those dead eyes haunt me in my dreams. Now, if you don't want to do the same, here's what I recommend. He gave me a list of instructions, the mother sobbing behind us now turning to an exhausted whimper. My pickup drove deep in the woods in wake of a setting sun. The camper shell and some tie-downs kept the load I was hauling as even then it bounced while I drove down the beaten trail. The farther I went, the less it looked like a road at all. First it was a lane, then it was a footpath, then there was none at all. I hopped out of my vehicle as the sky turned from crimson to a cool blue, the last vestiges of light shimmering in the trees. I thought I was lost despite following his directions with certainty. Fifty miles off the highway, you follow the runner's trail. When it ends, take a look around. If the woods are ready for you, they'll make room. I didn't know what he was talking about. Anyone else would have written him off as a loon. He trained me well, however. Back when I was fresh out of high school, kicking myself over a girl. He showed me the trails, taught me all the rules, even showed me how to shoot. My father died in the desert back in Iraq. This old man was closest thing to a dad I had. All in all, I owed him a little faith. I looked back at the gifts he left in my front seat. A pack of smokes and a flask with a small note unfolded. Reading it over again, I felt the mix of pride and pity emanating from his words. I'd go with you, kid, but I'm too old. Seen too many corpses of my own. Just do exactly as I told you, and you'll be all right. Help yourself to these when you're done. Congratulations, kid. You're going to need them. I looked around, playing with a pack of smokes. I flipped the lucky cigarette upside down like my uncle showed me when I was young. Third from the left. We all know smoking is terrible for you. Even so, it's funny the things that old men leave to those behind them. I looked up, just about to head back, thinking this was for nothing. Sure enough, however, I found what he was after. The thicket in front of me, a wall of saplings and branches, now had a break. It started small, yet as the sun went down and wine began to swell, the branches creaking as they gave way with all manner of twists and turns. It started slow, slow enough you would have mistaken it for just the wind. In minutes, however, the way was clear. The very grass and weeds lay down along the path, inviting me further in. I hopped back in my truck and drove slow. I barely pressed the gas as the clearing squeaked me inside. I always heard the forest was alive, 
a great organism among the cells of bark and pine. I thought him drunk, yet the old man was right. The woods made way to let me in. At the end of the path, I found a clearing hid from civilization. There in my high beams was a cement flight of stairs. No debris from a house undone. No foundation to explain it being there. A lone flight of stone steps railed with an iron banister, curling into the night above. The steps ended sharp as they reached into the sky. Broken beams of iron pointing like curled fingers to the stars glimmering high above. The air had a severance to it, like stepping before an ancient temple. My hands shook as I stood before the stairway. Nothing prepared me for what I'd gotten into, and yet keeping my composure, I walked around to open up the back. A corpse of a whole pig lay stretched across the truck bed. Its stomach hung open and flaps gutted as its blood seeped onto the tarp below. With all the strength I could muster, I pulled on the tarp as it slid across the bed of my vehicle. It took five minutes before my efforts answered with the heavy thump of the carcass landing in the woods. Thank God the stink was minimal, the heat from the vehicle only beginning to let it turn. I dragged it still further before the steps, those stairs drawing me in with a strange magnetism, inviting to see them more as the contrast of that cold stone was so stark to the woods around. Without thinking, my hands even reached for it, Yet the old man's words echoed in my head back from when I started. He was half drunk on a night watch for poachers back then, me too green to find it odd or even care. When he drank, the demons would come to haunt him, or maybe they haunted him still. The man only drawing from his flask could numb their fingers on his shoulders. In one of his rants, he told me plain, If you ever see a flight of steps here, don't even think of touching them. You'll never leave the woods alive. He pulled deep from the very flask now, sitting in my car, muttering to himself, I'm sorry, Phil. I shouldn't have left you there to die. I never questioned it then. Now I saw everything with a cold certainty. I snapped back to my senses, pulling my hand away. I climbed in my truck, headlights glaring over the pig carcass before stairs that felt more like an ancient altar. I should have left like I was told. Leave the pig in front, and don't come back till winter. Those were my instructions. That dead kid was still inside my mind, however. The sad look in my friend's face, his remorse, weighed on his soul. I wanted to give those parents peace, every one of them. My hands gripped firm the weight of a cold iron, a black and gold revolver with caliber large enough to kill a bear. I waited for that predator to snap at my bait, sure I was the one to put him down. I turned off my engine, quiet to lure him in. For an hour I rolled my thumb along the chamber of that gun, waiting for the revenge I would take for all the murders it left behind. So sure that I would be their avenger, certain that my act was one of justice and not of pride. It's funny I only ever shot that thing at Cannes. The loudest scream I ever heard shattered the glass around me. My alarm blared, filling those woods with the chaos that ensued. I screamed covered in the broken bits of my windshield, but I did not run away. I did not cry or cower. Terrified still, my actions were that of pure adrenaline. Stepping out of the safety of my vehicle, I screamed into the night, raising my firearm, blind and deaf to all that ensued. I had no idea where it came from. Yet I fired that pistol in those woods, again, and again, and again. Smoke from the burning powder filled my nostrils. Flash from a hot barrel blinding his echo and recoil had me stumble. My ears rang as the blast mixed with a siren now behind me. I fired until my chamber went dry, and that was when it hit me. I turned to see an open hand of black across my face. Its claw whisked like smoke in shadow its color making even the night around us look bright in its comparison. The heavy thump of its strike knocked me down as though I'd been a child. My skull cracked against the ground and all went black around me. When I woke, there was blood across my eyes. Everything hurt as the world spun in my concussion. I reached for my face out of instinct as its painful sting awoke me. My fingers felt wet meat dripping with crusted blood. I sat up unsure why I could not see. 
One eye was full of haze, another I could not open. It wasn't long till I discovered I had no eye at all. The carcass was gone. Whatever that thing was had spared me, yet did not leave me unharmed. A warning to remember my hubris came in the surgery room, hours after crawling into my ride, finding my way home. Four long fingers on an open claw cut across the left side of my face. The index took my eyes, its smallest left a scar across my neck. The last missing the vein that surely would have killed me. Forever I will be ugly. The scars from the flesh it tore, unable to heal little more than the four canyon scrapes grinning like a Glasgow smile. I still work, still walk through those woods, still even make that drive once every season to that forbidden staircase, dragging a pig or deer sometimes onto the dead grass that lay before it. Now I treat the place with the reverence it deserves, leaving whatever roams these woods to its eternity. Ever since there hasn't been a single mauling, just as there wasn't one in the years before. Some might call it sacrifice, some ritual to appease an ancient god. Me, I don't know what to think. I just don't want to see more dead kids. What I saw was definitely human. Tall, slender, maybe 160 pounds, with locally tufted fur hair on the cheeks and face. He was panting and appeared to be a male. He came around the corner of our house at the backyard area, turned and looked directly at me. I had no sense of fear in what could be termed a standoff. The dog man's eyes reflected red light from the retina just like a real dog. This experience came at a time of meditation in my life and was one of many otherworldly experiences. This occurred about 20 to 25 years ago. The form was more human than dog and was bipedal. I worked night shift and a co-worker and I were both driving down a county road after work, probably around 4. 45 a.m., still dark outside. I saw his taillights get brighter like he was hitting his brakes. Then he swerves down into the ditch line and comes back out on the road and keeps going. As I approach the same area, I see this really tall black figure walking in the road. It's moving in a very weird, unnatural gait, like it was kind of blowing in the wind, but it clearly wasn't. I first thought it was a really tall person wrapped up in a big black blanket because I didn't see any arms or head, just two big legs and a torso. I had to swerve over to uh, avoid it too, but I basically came to a full stop and the thing walks past my driver's window. It had to have been around seven foot tall as it was leaning forward and was at least a foot or so taller than the top of my vehicle. As it got behind my vehicle, I could see the taillights illuminating its legs, but couldn't make out any details like hair or anything like clothing. Just large, thick black legs. I took off down the road once it was behind me and saw that my co-worker pulled into a gravel parking lot, so I pulled up beside him. He's freaking out asking if I saw it and how it didn't have a head and other ramblings. I said we should go back and try to see what the hell this thing is because it seemed oblivious to us driving right at it. He didn't want to, but he ended up following behind me. We drove back the way we came and in around the same area. There was a large black dog laying across the road. This was not your normal size canine. It was much larger than any normal dog, but it looked dead. It wasn't there when we just drove through there less than three or so minutes beforehand. Anyway, I decided I was going to get out and go see if it's alive or not, and move it off to the side of the road because you can't really drive around it without going off the edge of the road on either side because the way it was laying across the road. As I get about 15 feet away, it raises its head up and looks back at me. Its eyes are glowing yellow but I still say that it was due to the vehicle lights causing eyes shine. It lets out a low, deep, rumbling, guttural growl, and I stop instantly. It attempts to stand up. Seems like it has some sort of issues with its front legs, but it stands up and continues to stand up on two legs. 
like a person would. It only stood on its back legs for a second or two, enough time for it to look at me, but then it hunkers back down to what looks like on all fours and runs off to the wooded area. But there's a pretty tall fence there, so I don't really know how it managed to disappear because it would have had to go over, under, or through the fence, or it just vanished. I also don't think it was using its front legs when it ran off because I never saw them really moving. Now, after all this, there was one last strange happening. My co-worker gets out of his car after the dog thing ran off, and he comes up to me to basically say what Fouet was that, and as we're talking, I noticed a mouse standing between us. It was also on its hind legs, kind of sitting as it is washing its face. I nudged it with my shoe, and it doesn't even seem to care kind of like the first thing that was walking. It was completely oblivious to our present. It just kept on cleaning itself. We left and went our separate ways. I woke up later in the day and started looking into werewolves and come across dogman stories. The only thing I will say about all of that is this didn't have the hands and feet like is often claimed by witnesses. It had normal dog paws. It just had a large black wolf-style look about itself, but its fur was really fluffy, which didn't really seem to match with the normal wolf-type fur. It wasn't a bear. It didn't have mange. I know the difference between a bear or something like that. It just looked like a very large black dog. The first thing we saw, some people said sounds like a Fresno nightcrawler, but those have been white in appearance and not nearly as thick and tall. Someone recently asked if maybe it had wings, and that's what was concealing, its arms and head as if they were draped around the front of it. I never thought about that before and can't say one way or another because I didn't see any sort of details on its body. Just blackness. The way it moved just seemed very odd, otherworldly. I always think of those inflatable tube men that flap around in the wind at car dealers or some sort of events when I try to describe its movements. Just really weird. The mouse that might the oddest thing to me because I physically touched it. So I know it was real, but it just didn't seem to care. It wasn't until recently I made the connection that all three of the creatures were on two legs at one point. Are they all connected? Who knows? I never saw anything like that ever again, and I only live about four miles from where it happened, and I drive through that area often. I wish I had more answers, but all I get is more questions. As someone who's been pretty skeptical most of my life, I've tried to explain it away in some logical manner, but I can't. I have said the dog was playing with a mouse, must have got hit, and its front legs were hurt. That would explain why it was walking on its back legs and why the movement seemed unnatural. The mouse was traumatized from the dog messing with it. That explains why it looked all wet and why it was cleaning itself. That's the version I accepted for many years. The only problem with that is whatever was originally walking down the road was so much larger than the dog. When the dog stood up, it was maybe six foot tall, but whatever walked by my window was at least seven foot leaning forward. The walking torso was also a lot thicker than the dog, as the legs were very thick. The dogs were normal dog legs. On July 15, 2009, a team from PBS traveled to the location where the reported Bigfoot encounter occurred to interview the witness and to look over the area for any possible physical evidence. The team was comprised of Eric Altman and Peebs members Dave Dragasine and his wife Cindy. Eric also invited me to go along to participate in the investigation. When we arrived on the scene, the witness and her husband were awaiting us. We went through our introductions and then walked over to the roadway where the encounter had occurred. The location of the incident was on a two-lane roadway outside of Uniontown. It was about 6 p.m. when the event occurred and the weather was warm and clear at the time. The witness was driving down the road at about 35. 40 miles per hour, when suddenly she caught out of the corner of her eye, a figure coming from the left side and approaching her. Her first thought was that a person was about to walk out in front of her car, and she was about to hit the subject. She suddenly swerved over to the right side of the road and was thankful that nobody was there. 
As she was making the turn, she got a good look at the figure and suddenly realized that it was not a person, but a strange creature. As she sat there for a moment, she looked into her rearview mirror and realized that the creature had gotten behind her car. I looked into the rearview mirror and I saw it leap across my trunk. While still pulled over on the roadside, the woman remained seated in her car, trying to regain her composure. She could not believe what had just occurred. Seconds later, she looked up to see the creature now on her right side, running quickly down the middle of another road about 75 feet away. That was the last time she saw it. The entire incident had lasted just several seconds, but enough time for the witness to recall a detailed description of a creature that she was certain was not human or a person in a costume. What she saw in daylight and at very close range was a dark-colored hair-covered man, light creature which she estimated was at least six feet tall or slightly taller. The creature which walked upright on two legs had a head that was said to be large and elongated and covered with hair that just looked wild. The neck was somewhat hard to explain since it was covered in hair. The witness said that it appeared to be thin and long. The neck looked strange because the head was big and the shoulders were wide. The face was mainly covered in hair, yet the area that was exposed appeared to be very white. There was hair coming out from all over the face, like that of a dog or a wolf. The nose was flat and dark, but was also mostly covered in hair. The mouth could not clearly be seen. The ears were not seen since they were covered with hair as well. The eyes were the most prominent feature that really caught the witness's attention. The eyes were at least twice the size of a human circular in shape. The eyes were dark, possibly black in color, wide-set, and wild-looking. There was no iris, no whites. The witness thinks that is why the eyes looked so odd. The wild look and the fierceness of the eyes of the creature scared the woman. The creature was stocky and muscular in appearance. The chest area was described as thick and hairy. The shoulders were wide and rounded. The arms were very long, hanging down to the knees or beyond. The witness said the hair on the arms was long, like ape hair. The woman didn't recall seeing any muscles. However, it appeared as though it was muscular and in good physical shape. The witness had the impression that this creature was older in age. Very little detail was observed below the waist. There was no unusual sound or odor noted during the observation. The witness did have her windows up and the air conditioner on. At the scene, Dave Dragosin sketched an illustration of the creature under the direction of the eyewitness. Eric and the witness's husband searched a wooded area not far from the location of the encounter, but nothing of interest was found. We also went over to examine the car. As I was looking over the car body, I noticed what appeared to be an unusual scratch mark on the trunk surface on the left side of the vehicle. I pointed it out to the others, as well as the woman and her husband. They had never seen this surface area damaged before. The affected area was about six inches from the left taillight to the first striation of the scratches. The scratched area was about 8.5 inches long and two inches wide. There were numerous vertical and horizontal very thin scratch lines that went into the paint surface. There is a possibility that this might be related to the creature's movements as it leaped across the trunk area from that side. It was my impression that the witness was very sincere and competent. As she described to us what she had seen and experienced that night, it was evident that she was still emotionally upset by what had occurred. The witness told me that after the encounter, she drove down the road a short distance and parked her car. She sat there thinking about what had happened. She was trying to convince herself that this was a person, but realized that it couldn't have been these are her reasons why she feels it was not a human. A. The rate of speed the figure came across into the path of her car. It didn't care that it was going to get hit. B. The fast movement of the creature and the way it leaped over the trunk. She also had a good look at the creature and some facial features. The eyes of the creature frightened her. When she arrived home, she waited a little while before telling her family about what she had seen. She was initially met with some disbelief from her children. 
Her husband listened to her and believed that she had seen something. He told her she should call the police to see if anyone else had reported something similar. The witness said she was not calling the police, concerned that she would be ridiculed. The direction that the creature was last observed moving towards would take it into a heavily wooded area in the direction of Jumanville. There has been a long history of Bigfoot sightings being reported for many years in this same general area of Fayette County. Back when I was much younger, single-digit ages, I like in a duplex with a nice large yard that backed up to a set of woods. I used to like wandering said woods, and it was also a shortcut to our local armory. One day my friend and I decided to venture into the woods at night. We had some cheap flashlights for our only light, followed by the moon. We ventured past the armory exit trail, deeper into the woods, now mined past this point there weren't any houses. We continued to go deeper, not too sure what, if anything, we were looking for. Out of boredom, we decided to turn back and head home. As we turn, we hear so soon. Slightly confused and intrigued, we answer back, yes, why should we stay? After a short time, we get silent. So we continue about our way back to our homes. The friend suddenly feels a tug on his pant leg. He looks down and sees a disturbing upper body of a child. He says it was from waist up and it was reaching up, tugging on his pant leg. I don't really buy it at the time, but a bit freaked out. We then run back home. He tells me what he saw and demands the next day we go back and see if we can experience something else. Next day, later in the night, we head back to the woods around the same spot we went the night prior. Instead of impatience, we decide to continue to wait. We begin to hear twigs snapping in the bot so far distance of the woods. Sounds like something crawling toward us. A bit scared, we turn to where the noise is coming from, flash our lights in the direction, and now we both see the same thing. Simply the upper body of a child around our ages. Stunned, we can't move and just watch this thing crawl closer to us until we hear his mom yell our names. At the time, we thought her voice shouting for us was scarier than what we saw. We were kids afraid of consequences, so we ran back home. Now, the best way to describe what we saw was an upper body, no legs or anything below the waist, scratched, tattered clothing, but the body looked fresh, no rot or decay. It looked like a kid, maybe. Between six, eight, to this day, we still have no idea what it was, and sadly, the area we used to roam has been developed in townhouses and shit, so we may never know what it was. The year, not certain, mid-90s, so 95 or 96 late summer. Location was Alliance, Ohio.